0: Now on to the podcast. On this week's APCA podcast, we check in with Coastal Carolina Associate Head Coach Kevin Schnall. Schnall's fingerprints are all over the Chanticleers program as a player and 20 years as an assistant coach. In Schnall's 20 seasons, the Chanticleers have 15 NCAA Division I regional appearances, 35 All-Americans, top five winning percentage in Division I baseball, 13 conference tournament championships, and the 2016 Division I National Championship. Schnall spent three seasons from 2013 to 2015 at Central Florida. In this episode, we cover recruiting and player development. I have a lot of respect for Coach Schnall and what he's done over the course of his career, and so I was excited to have him on. Let's welcome Kevin Schnall to the podcast. All right, here with Kevin Schnall, Associate Head Coach Coastal. Um, I think 20th season now overall as an assistant there. I was trying to do the math because with your stint in there, at central florida for three seasons but uh also alum at coastal and national champion coach so coach Snall, thanks for jumping on with me
1: appreciate having me yeah i'm an old guy now 23 years coaching 20th at coastal i was at ucf for three years i'm in that uh, category of an old guy
0: yes you are yeah so (laughs) and you guys are having a great year first place in the sun belt Uh, i've had some really good midweek Wins also some really good opponents, uh, but OPS is over a thousand as a team, which is really good when you're looking at offensive stats. But you know, just talk a little bit because it seems like three years ago maybe wasn't a season you guys wanted, but now you've got older groups, so and and that happens sometimes too with a younger group. And um, you know, you've got it seems like you've got an older group now with your lineup. Well,
1: actually, it's, it's really not. We, we lost our entire position player group from last year. Last year's team was one win away from you know advancing to the Super Regional. We lost our three weekend starters off of last year's team. We lost seven of our nine position players off of last year's team. So this year's team um, is actually very uh, – came into the season very inexperienced, very talented, but very inexperienced. We got a freshman switching and catcher, batting in our three-hole, I don't know, last time we had a freshman bat in our three-hole. Um, so w- with that being said, no, it's actually the opposite. We're, we're very young. We've got an opportunity to potentially return the entire lineup um, for next year besides um, two players, our second baseman and our center fielder. So we feel really good about that, um, and these guys have really bought in. I mean, the, the offensive numbers, I, I try not to get too uh, – Involved in what our numbers are week to week, but um, you know, I'm not a dummy. I mean, they're pretty impressive The on-base percentage is uh, as good as it's ever been. I mean, it's over um, 430 as a team and and that's something that we really preach is we we want our guys to be obsessed with getting on base and this group is bought into that um, at an
0: extremely high level How did you handle that this fall then, knowing that maybe we're going to be a little bit inexperienced? Did you change anything with with the prep in the fall for them?
1: Much more difficult fall than than the fall of last year when we had a ton of returning players. Um, This fall, yeah, the install took much more time. Um, The daily grind, the daily development of our team offense, of our team defense just took much more time. I mean, last year... We returned uh, a lot of position players from the previous year, Um, you know, so we didn't have to go over team defenses, team concepts, um, and our offensive concepts as much. This year, we spent much more time with those concepts. We spent much more time with video review to show those concepts. So yes, it took um, a lot more um, planning, preparation, and, uh, and then you know, our daily design was very intentional to make sure that we were continually reviewing and reminding our players of, uh, again, not only our offensive concepts but our defensive concepts.
0: Kind of knowing that you might start a freshman behind the dish, how do you go about that? I feel like that's the hardest position for a position player to come in as a freshman and, and, and play a lot is behind the dish. Did you do anything different with him to try to get him ready?
1: Patient and that's not my forte is patience um, Very patient but Caden Bodine is the most advanced catcher that I've ever had an opportunity to coach um, You know in my 23 years. Um, he's intelligent. He's poised um, He's not too emotional uh, Again if, if this guy's um, Trajectory stays on course. I don't say this often but I'd like to see a
0: better catcher in the country than this guy. Love it. Love it. Has he had any ups or downs so far? I mean, it seems like he's having a great year. But He got
1: uh, hurt, so he had to sit out for about a week. Um, He he got a concussion at at Clemson, Um, so he did have to sit out a week. We missed him. But basically, he got inserted back into the lineup uh, on on Friday night at Old Old Dominion last week. And his first at-bat, he hits a home run right-handed. You know, he ended up hitting a home run right-handed and left-handed at Old Dominion. Um, But, man, he's just been so uh, consistent. Uh, He's really... uh, embrace the on base I mean his his walks are extremely high he's got very low strikeouts I think he has 10 strikeouts on the entire year he's got over 20 frees again I mean with the analytics in today's world you put his skill set combined with his analytics if things continue to progress I'd like
0: to see a better guy in the country than this guy how the additions been to the league now you added some teams to the Sun Belt correct
1: Yep, yep. We, we just played Southern Miss this past week, Who, who's extremely well-coached, extremely talented. Um, we played JMU early in the year. Um, Coach Eikenberry does a great job. It was a little different for us. It was cold up there, um, but we've got Marshall here at the end of the year. We played Old Dominion last weekend, you know, Finney and his staff do a great job. They've got a really good team, they're physical. They've got power. Um, the, the league's challenging. I mean, every single weekend, it's extremely difficult. You've got to prepare, and you can't really, you know, ride those ups and downs. You got to stay very um, under control each and every week. And, and we've been fortunate. We're ten weeks in. We haven't lost a weekend series yet. Um, you know, that, that's a pretty remarkable consistency.
0: I mean, for me, it's a it's a power five conference. It is for baseball. I mean, I I know people don't consider it that, but I do. Just looking at teams in the league, like, that's a a Power 5 league.
1: Yeah. You know, I I don't get uh, involved in the whole Power 5 this, the Power 5 that. I know at Coastal Carolina, you know, the commitment here is at the extreme highest level. Um, You know, and and we're fortunate. We've got um, great leadership. Our administration backs baseball at the extreme highest level. And, uh, uh, you know, the the amenities, the resources we have are – on par with anybody in the
0: country, and your non-conference schedule speaks to that every year. I mean, is that by design for you guys, or is it just because of ge- geographically and then hosting tournaments too for you guys?
1: Well, you know, Coach Gilmore is the mastermind of the scheduling. Um, you know, it goes back years ago. Our athletic director Matt Hogan, and him, you know, it's like they, they sat behind a computer. Uh, I don't think Gilly had the computer; Matt had the computer, but. Um, <laughs> They sat behind a computer. They dove into scheduling. Matt Hogue, again, our athletic director back in the day, heck, when I played here, he was our SID. Um, he understands the landscape of college baseball as well as anybody in the country. So I think he played a, a very critical role in helping Gilly understand the importance of scheduling. Um, you know, and it started with a lot of different tournaments that we scheduled early in the year. We're, we've kind of Um, eliminated a couple of those tournaments and a lot of that is you know the big south compared you know to the Sunbelt the Sunbelt conference is the fifth best ranked you know fifth highest ranked conference in the country now so we're getting so much more um, back from our conference weekends now where we can be a little bit um, you know look at those weekends early those five weekends early and be a little bit uh, more creative and maybe not have to do as many tournaments but We're still doing tournaments, and, uh, again, that combo between Gillian and and Matt Hogue, um, you know, they've done a great job of really dissecting and and understanding the importance of the non-conference scheduling.
0: Has technology made recruiting easier or harder now?
1: Well, easier for the lazy, I would say. Um, Harder for the people that, uh, you know, like to get out and and really use their eyes and see kids. It's much harder to – you know find that kid that maybe nobody knows about or or, or whatnot um but also i I think it's you know hurt people you know some people are still you know recruiting with their ears more so than their eyes and you know uh, there's a lot to being out there and seeing a kid play on the field versus you know just watching video but um you know the technology you know it, it just it creates much more time the amount of emails Text messages, I mean, the, the amount of summer coaches there are in, in today's world from when you were coaching is is probably, you know, doubled if not tripled. The amount of text message I get from random people about, you know, the 32 players that they have that can play at Coastal Carolina that, you know, we have to um, kind of sift through. It, it just makes much more life much more challenging when you're just trying to have a dinner with your family.
0: Has that changed for you at all? I mean it seems like you guys have always kind of branched out. It looks like you got sixteen or seventeen different states represented on your roster. And I think that's something you guys have been doing for a long time, isn't it?
1: Seventeen states right now represented our roster. I think yesterday's lineup um you know we had like yesterday's starting nine we had six different states represented. I was actually looking out there at the national anthem, like our left side of the infield was uh, two PA kids, our catcher was a New Jersey kid, our center fielder was a PA kid. Um, it, it's not by design. I mean, we, we wanna work from inside to out. Um, this incoming class, we have much more in-state kids, which is awesome. We want South Carolinians um, to come to Coastal, um, but at the end of the day, we're, our motto is we're, we're never gonna settle for the next best player. You know, So if a kid wants to go to an in-state school and, and he values that in-state school, more than coastal carolina which i don't know how you could i know i'm biased um but that's great no problem no hard feelings we'll go out and find the next uh player that we feel has the energy um has the skill set to to continue to push this program um to where it needs to be we've got extremely high standards and those standards we're going to meet each and every year and if that means we got to get on a plane or drive a couple more hours, then we'll do it.
0: I've seen you at random tournaments in Wisconsin.
1: <laughs> random is it. Hey, man. how long random did it
0: take you it. to figure that piece out? Because it seems like you've always had that. Um, you know, you well, and I are very just, similar from getting on the road and watching, and you and I are very similar in, in our beliefs and and how you need to recruit. Did you have that? Did Gilly help you with that, or is that something that you Yeah, started? no,
1: it, it was a full staff deal i'm I'm originally from new jersey we've got seven new jersey kids on our current roster um northeast kids um, at times look at coastal carolina um when when they come down here and see it i say this in the recruiting process like if, if you come to our campus and you spend time here and you get a scholarship offer from us and you don't feel like you've died and gone to heaven then this is the wrong spot for you this place is that special this place is that nice The amenities we have now the stadium we have now is on par with anybody in the entire country um you know if if that's not what a kid wants then this isn't the right place and you know a a place like coastal carolina you better really love the game because we feel like we are going to work as hard as anybody in the country nobody in the country is going to outwork us there's going to be teams in the country that work as hard as we do but nobody's going to outwork us um so it does take a special kid to uh, understand the overall commitment it takes um, to play at Coastal
0: Carolina. And you speak as a, a former player too. I mean, like you, you, you lived it as a player. Now you're living it as a coach with the program. Oh
1: yeah, no, no doubt. Um, you know, I've watched this program, you know, start from you know 1998 when I think that was what Gilly's like second year back to where it is now. I mean. Thankfully, he's in, he's evolved. We've all evolved. I mean, when when I was a player, we we did uh, ten poles before practice. That's unheard of today. Like, you'd go to jail for, for five years if you did that. But we did ten time polls you know, before we even started practice. Uh, you know, and then we practice. You know, nowadays it's like you know everyone's got the catapult on and they got the whoop on, and you got to be careful with how many swings they get and how much they're moving. So they could play at a high level, but uh, but again, we've got great strength and conditioning coach uh, Michael Thom- Thompson is here in his first year, and, and he's really um, you know done some tremendous things. So I'm not banging on that. We're, we're fortunate. We've got um, you know huge resources, and, and our strength and conditioning has helped our program to where it is today, and helped us remain so consistent throughout the years.
0: Are there anything you guys have held on to from, from the old days? Anything you're still keeping around? Um,
1: you know, yeah, we still have got a lot of that old school. But the truth is, is, is you know, and it starts with Gilly. And, and you know, you, you got to compliment him on this. I mean, we're constantly evolving. We are constantly in, in staff meetings discussing what can we do differently? What can we do better? Um, you know, we're, we're never using the old adage of, of this is how we've always done it even though we've done a lot of things at a high level um, and we're very proud of that you know you've mentioned it earlier I mean we won the national championship at coastal carolina in 2016 it's something that you know you'll never forget it's the single most unbelievable thing that happened to me on the baseball field but you know in a lot of ways our relentless consistency you know we've got the fifth best winning percentage in the entire country since 2001 in a lot of ways we're just as or, or more proud of that than just winning the national championship. And that relentless consistency is all about um, continuing to evolve um, and, and continuing to reflect, evaluate ourselves, what can we constantly do better to make put our players in a better position to be successful.
0: Did you feel much different after you won the national championship?
1: <laughs> Did I feel much different? Um I still, at times, you got to pinch myself and, and look at the trophy to, to believe it happened. I still go back and, you know, in, in the off season, I I'll watch a game here or there from, from that uh, from that journey. Um, I don't, I don't feel better. No, I, I feel like, uh, you know, like Nick Saban always says, man, you got to get ready for the next season because it's on you quick, and this game will humble you very quickly. So, like as as proud as you feel, like y- y- you got to wipe off the sweat and get back after it, because this game will kick you really quickly if, you know, you're not continuing to move forward, if you're not continuing to work. There's so many programs out there now that are so committed at such a high level, working extremely hard, um, you know, you just can't take a day off, and, and or you'll take a big step back. So... Yeah, we we were very proud, but uh, you know you, you got to get back on the horse and get going because uh, the new season's already here.
0: Do you think that happens if you don't go to Central Florida?
1: Well, I, I'm not taking the, the I'm not taking the, the credit for us winning a national championship. I was at the right place at the right time. We had a great group of players that were extremely talented. But what separate that team was, you know, that team was, you know, relentless and selfless in so many ways and. and that team was the epitome of, you know, dropping an I and me for we and us. And just so many things fell in place. There was a lot of adversity in that year, and people embraced the adversity. And, and then we got on a roll. And when we got on a roll, that team just, you know, they didn't want to stop playing with each other. And, it, you know, it was just contagious.
0: I mean, what was the good thing about going to Central Florida for a little bit? Because, I, I mean, again, was it kind of breaks move. up, you know, You know, you're an alum and I think it's hard for, especially assistants, to stay somewhere for for that long. You know, was that a good break in between there and then coming back?
1: No, it, it it was a little risky for me professionally. I don't like to talk about me, but for the first time in my coaching career, I did have to look at me. And I was at Coastal for 12 years. I played at Coastal. All I knew was coastal, um, and that opportunity came up, and um, you know I I just felt like I need to see a different system. I need to work for a different person, and you know uh, Terry Rooney. Um, I learned a lot from him, especially um, organizationally in the office, behind the scenes. You know he, he's very thorough, very organized. Um, very detail-oriented. So I I learned a lot in in that aspect. And truth be told, I I got lucky to be able to come back here um, and be able to apply what I learned. It was almost like a three-year sabbatical and be able to come back here and then apply what I learned at UCF. Yeah, I, I think I did. I think I grew in a lot of ways. And I'm using the I word a lot, which I don't like to use, but You know, for myself, it was such a great development. It was very tough on my family to move down to Florida. You know, But when when Coach Gilmore called me and offered me an opportunity to come back, um, it was so special. It was an easy decision. I've been back ever since. We love it here. Um, There's no other place I'd rather be.
0: Can you develop an elite mindset as a coach or a player? Or do you feel like that's an innate thing with the mindset?
1: Yeah, I think you can develop that. I think that comes back to consistency. You've got to be re- really consistent day in and day out. And as a coaching staff, you have to model that mindset if you want your players to have it. And, you know, if your staff is consistent with their messaging on a daily basis, they're consistent with their energy level on a daily basis your staff is consistent with their expectations and demands on a daily basis, I think, um, you know, ultimately your players will buy into that.
0: And you talked about having to do a little bit more this fall from a teaching standpoint. And I think your program, I think you guys do as good a job of developing guys as there is out there, just as how, how you run things, you know, just kind of go over, you know, you've got some new kids that you're going to have to get ready to go, just kind of go over from a hitting standpoint. You know where you're starting with them teaching them your guys drills because you know what you guys do is probably different than what they've had before they got there so just go into a little bit like how you're breaking that down for them
1: yeah well the the way we are our falls are typically designed is is you know we'll do our individual period for about three weeks then we go into our five-week team period um and then we'll slide back into that individual period so those first three weeks Um, You know, and this is not a one-man show, I want to make sure that this is, uh, you know, pretty clear. I mean, Matt Schilling, our other assistant, and I spearhead the offense together. Coach Gilmore, um, you know, he throws a lot of batting practice. He does a lot of the short game work. So, you know, there's a lot of times where our practice is is designed where, you know, half of the the offensive players are in the cages with Coach Schilling and I, half of them are on the field with Coach Gilmore. You know, and and Coach Gilmore could be, you know, installing all short game stuff on the field that day where Shill and I, you know, are are doing more swing design stuff. And when I say swing design, I mean, it's not, you know, every swing we're not changing somebody's mechanics. And in a lot of ways, I mean, our our cage routine is very consistent. You know, we're hitting right-handed breaking balls. We're hitting left-handed breaking balls. We're, uh, we've got pitch um, recognition cage. We're, you know, fastball changeup. We've got a cage where we're just isolating location and it's kind of like target BP. Well, it's a fastball way. Your goal is to hit the ball here. It's a fastball in. Your goal is to hit the ball there. And you know, one thing I've learned as I've kind of matured is, is less talk is better. You know, when I was a little bit younger, I was probably talking too much. Um, I'm talking much less now than I ever have. Let the drills... Kind of do the talking. Um, we'll talk prior to the drills to kind of go over expectations and, and, and the plan, um, goals. Um, we'll also do a lot of video. We'll send out video to help show, okay, this is what we were exactly talking about today. Whatever it may be, a contact point, a guy driving the ball opposite field. What does he look like? What does his body look like? How is he moving? Um, but, but, I mean, the same things that we, we were taught when we were younger. I mean, we want our guys to be short to the ball. We want our, our guys to have short swings to be able to make later decisions. And, and our whole offense is about, um, is about team offense. And like I said, it's about um, guys believing in the importance of getting on base. And that's probably the hardest thing to do with young players you know, it, it, even when the recruiting process, and I'm talking to our recruits, and they're telling me, yeah, I, I'm not getting a lot to hit. I'm walking a lot." That's good. You know, you go to a lot of these these uh, showcases, or you go to these these tournaments, and a kid walks, and everybody's upset. You know, I, a walk is is a good thing, and, and it takes time for players that come into our program for the first year to realize the importance of drawing a walk. Understand the importance of getting hit by a pitch and just getting on base. And we use, uh, you know, the the saying we want guys that are obsessed with getting on base. Um, So that's probably the biggest thing that we're doing um, is developing the team offensive concept, not your individual, um, you know, what you're doing individually, understanding the importance of the team offensive concept, Right? We, we talk a lot about quality at bats. What do quality at bats mean to us? And, um, and then just being consistent with that each and every day.
0: When you're explaining what a short swing means to them, how are you explaining that? And, and how are you getting them to feel that short swing?
1: That's a good question. Um, a lot of kids, they want to swing the bat um, using their arms. They want to swing the bat they want to get extension for us we want guys to be able to sync their body up properly where everything's working together not independently so um you know we do a lot of stuff that get them to feel the swing being over sooner rather than later we we get them to do a lot of things where they can start understanding that extension is a byproduct of a good swing um we want them to stay tight with their turn, tight with their arms. Uh, and, again, it comes back to getting their body to move properly where their body is working together versus independently.
0: You're using video examples for that, too, with guys? A lot of
1: video, lot of video. yep. A Big lot leaguers,
0: of video. college hitters.
1: Well, we got some good hitters, so we, we use a <laughs> lot of hitters. You know, we use a lot of our hitters, um, you know, we had a first rounder last year, Eric Brown, who, you know, he it was awesome to watch um, his development through the years. I mean, what his swing looked like when he first got into our program and what he thought a high-level swing was supposed to look like compared to what an actual high-level swing is, and that mindset development was awesome from, you know, the day he walked in to the day he left as a, as a first rounder. You know, he obviously put together some really good swings last year. So, no, we, we like to use a combination of, of guys in our, our program, guys that have had, have had great success in our program, and then obviously guys that they watch on TV that they love and try to, you know, combo that and, and provide that. But we do a lot of video. Again, it's not always just swing mechanics. A lot of it is approach, too. but. We'll send out clips to our players of, of different things that we have. It could be team defense concept, it could be a, uh, you know, a, a rotation on a ball in the gap in a tandem relay and just show them alignment, show them movements. You know, and, and these kids, that they, they live by the phone, that's all they do is watch video now. So, you know, we try to hit them with so many different um, opportunities to learn and so, you know, we'll definitely utilize, um, you know, technology and, and video um, analysis for our guys to, to get a better look of what we're saying that day.
0: And knowing that, when you you bring a kid in, they're they're going to have to make some adjustments. When you're going to watch a, a, either a high school kid or transfer, what makes you say, "Hey, okay, they can fit offensively for us," or that that's not going to fit for us?
1: Huh. I wish there was an exact uh, answer to that. There really isn't. I mean, a junior college kid. Uh, yeah, we are going by stats. We're going by, you know, the information that we get back from their coach, from coaches they're playing against, and then when we go see them, you know, how are they moving um, to swing? But we do not go with. Uh, well, we're, we're not going to change anything until they fail. Like we really believe like there's a way to move, to swing the bat. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. And, and at the end of the day, like the best in the world are doing the same thing. So you know, we're trying to get every hitter from day one to move more efficiently. Uh, again, we're not gonna day one have them come in and, and we realize like that's a low level swing. Let's wait until he fails. No, we're, we're, we're trying to tighten that swing up day one. We're trying to make him much more efficient with how he launches the barrel from day one. We're, we're not going to wait. Um, but, but in your initial question, I mean, when, in the recruiting process, uh, I, I mean, when you go see a kid, I mean, what, what is his approach? Does he swing and miss a lot? Um, when he hits the ball, does he hit the ball hard? Um, you know and that's that's really our offensive approach. We want to hit strikes hard Swing at strikes and if you swing at them, you want to hit them hard um, So again when, when I'm evaluating a kid does he hit the ball hard does he swing at strikes and then You kind of build off of that but swing at strikes is a big thing for us I mean you, you, we, we talk a lot about eliminate chases. We, we show a lot of video of, you know different guys and different counts and pitches they either take and or swing at we, we have a great video system and we encourage our players to watch all of their at-bats and we talk a lot about you know a lot of your at-bats are dictated by the pitches you don't swing at not the pitches you do swing at and obviously it's so important to try to keep yourself in leverage counts
0: with Brown's development I mean what, what were the things he changed over the course of his career
1: mindset belief, that guy's a crazy athlete. You know, I mean, he does things that, uh, I, I think we got him. I think we got him because people didn't value, I mean, he would field ground balls in between innings and go between his legs. You know, and, and some people look at that as a negative. We, we look we embraced it and looked at it as like, we don't have one guy on our team that can do that. <laughs> You know, I mean, he, he was thrown from the, the craziest arm slots you've ever seen. The body control, the athleticism was superior. Um, and don't get me wrong, there was times where we had to say, hey, man, stop going between the legs. Um, but we did give him a lot of freedom. And, again, that goes back to Coach Gilmore. I mean, Coach Gilmore 20 years ago w- wasn't going into that stuff. Now he, he gives guys much more freedom. We give guys much more freedom. Um, Eric Brown was a freak athlete. It, it was just about kind of tightening up his movements. Um, it gets you, know, you excited
0: hit, as a coach, though, when you see an athlete like that and you know what you're gonna be able to do with them when they show up on campus.
1: It was, and, and again, I mean, part of it, it, it was luck. I mean, we were we were in Lake Point and we were watching another kid in this Louisiana team's playing. I don't even think we've had a player from Louisiana. This Louisiana team's playing. And Eric Brown is playing third base, and we're like, "Who is this guy?" And the whole team's committed besides him, and we're like, well, "Are we missing something?" And, and we sat on him for three more games, and and like everybody on the staff, with you know me, myself and two other assistants, down a late point, and everybody on the staff had their palms up, like, "I don't know, but I'm all in," and. Um, Again, he threw from the the craziest arm slots, and every ball was chest high, um, and he just did things that you just didn't see. And, and we were all in, and, and we're so lucky we got him. He's a great player for us three years. And, and like I said, I mean, this guy goes non drafted out of high school, and he comes to Coastal, and he's a first rounder, and he signs for you know two million dollars, and he's in the Brewers organization, and you know he, he's going to be a major leaguer.
0: With the new recruiting rules going in, do you think that's going to come back a little bit, where a kid that maybe develops later for in, in the positive develops later, do you feel like that's going to change things, or do you feel like it's always going to be the way it is?
1: I hope so. I, I'm looking forward to it. I can tell you that. I think it's really uh, really good for so many people. And, and honestly, I think it's really good for high school coaches. I, I felt so bad for high school coaches the last five, whatever it's been, five, eight years, where this early recruiting has gotten really out of hand. And honestly, it put high, in my opinion, put high school coaches in a really tough situation because they've got freshmen in their program that are committed to these power five programs, as you talk about, and the high school coach doesn't even think he should start on varsity, but he's almost obligated to put this guy on varsity because he's committed to X top 25 program And I just felt like, you know, we were putting high school coaches in in really bad situations. We, as coaches, we weren't evaluating. (laughs) I mean, we were guessing. And, you know, you go see a a freshman in high school who's bigger than everybody else, stronger than everybody else, and he hits a ball, you know, 300 and some feet, or he throws a ball 87 miles an hour, and, and we're saying we're all in. And it wasn't evaluating. I, I think it took out, you know, back in the day, man, the, the best coaches or the best recruiters were the best evaluators because you had to evaluate. Now it's like you mean be an average evaluator, you get the commitment, and then you reevaluate for the next two years. And if he doesn't pan out, you get rid of him. I, I'm hoping that's going to eliminate a lot of that.
0: I mean, how long did it take you to to figure out that, okay, I, I can evaluate?
1: Well, you know what it was? It was all the consistency of being at Coastal for 12 years and, and watching us win at the level that we won at from 2001 and 2012. We won at such a high level. And I mean, if I had any advice for young guys, th- this would be it is, you know, if you're jumping around from job to job, you could be a great coach, but it's all about assembling and watching your classes work through the program and do, do those classes pan out. You know, you're at a place for, you know, one, two years and you're doing all this recruiting, you, you, you never know, well, what were the recruiting classes? Like, did they pan out? And it's not about what your recruiting classes ranked It's about assembling, and that's something I I really learned from from Gilly was, you know, it's not about just putting together and and recruiting all the best players. It's about assembling the right team. And, you know, that helped me gain confidence to be able to watch recruiting classes come in, go four years through, and us have the consistency and success that we had.
0: I mean, with your recruiting philosophy, is it, is it still up the middle? Recruit the best athletes we can, we can and then figure out where they're going to be when they show up.
1: You know, coaches text me all the time, you know, or, or email me. Hey, coach, what are your needs in the blank class? And, and I, I'm not trying to be a, a smartass when I say this, but good players. Yeah. Just a good baseball player. Like, I, I don't know exactly what the need is but every recruiting class needs good baseball players. What do you mean by a good baseball Well, a guy that when the ball gets thrown to him, he catches it. When he catches it and throws it to somebody, they catch it.
0: Does he help your team win?
1: And then does he help and, Well, that helps your team win, right? <laughs> yes, Guys that can exactly. play catch. Yes. Right? That's that, a, that helps your team win.
0: I, I, I mean a good player, a guy that actually helps you Win yeah. games and and hopefully win championships. Yep. I, like, I don't do, care. if do you have about that guy egg- on your roster? Then yep. okay, let's let's talk about that kid that you feel like is going to help you win a state championship.
1: Nobody wants to, to give me that anymore. They want to tell me what his exit velo off the tee is in the cage, and I don't know what that means. So I, I just shake my head and say thank you very much. Send me your schedule. You know it's it's just the exit velocity in the batting cage, off of a tee or a pitcher. You know, I, I get the tweet sent to me of the pitcher in the batting cage throwing the ball to a net, and he hits 88 miles an hour. And I get the you know the the shot of 88. And I, I mean, I need to see it with the guy. There's got to be a catcher behind home plate, and then a guy behind the catcher. That umpire, that's important. And then a guy in the batter's box, that's important. And then oh, there might be a guy at first because your third baseman overthrows the first baseman. So now you got to maybe handle the running game a little bit and pitch to a hitter with a man at first so like all of that goes into it sometimes we forget that
0: you know when when you're again you got a young catcher so are you letting him call pitches at all are you guys calling pitches for him no How we, are you we, handling we that? call
1: that we call the games um
0: when's the last well, time I, you let catchers run a yeah, it's, run a it's game probably not a thing anymore but it's not you know,
1: reversely no, it's not. But reversely, i also say this, is, is nobody's getting caught up to the major leagues because, man, he calls a really good game, right? Like, what pro scout ever drafted a catcher and said, well, we're drafting him because he calls his own game, right? Like, no, we're drafting him because his skill set, he receives, he throws, he blocks, and he hits at a really high level. Like, you can argue if he's calling the game or not. Is it a good, is it a well-called game or not? So I think that is kind of blown up a little bit now with, oh, catchers should call their own game. You're stunting their growth. What do you mean they're stunting? Nobody's got drafted because they called their own game. Nobody's got caught up to the major leagues because they called their own game. Um, And for us as coaches at the collegiate level, our players are student athletes. So like we have an opportunity to you know, learn more about our opposing teams than our catcher does. So, I mean, we're going to bank on our pitching coach and the pre-work he does for our opponent that he's going to be able to make a better suggestion with that pitch than our catcher who doesn't have the same amount of time.
0: You guys still run as much as you, you normally do, stealing bases-wise?
1: Yeah, we, we do want to st- steal bases. I mean, we, we want to – Develop an offense. You know, we say this all the time. We, we want to develop an offense that can beat you in multiple ways. If it's a rainy, cold day versus a really good arm, that, you know, the ball's not going to go out of the park, well, how can we beat this guy? And he doesn't control the running game well, so we need to be able to steal bases. And, you know, it's a um, really good arm on a wet day. And, and, uh, he doesn't get off the mound very well, so we've got to use our short game. So yes, we want to develop an offense that can win multiple ways, and and you know we we obviously still want to have power, we want to have speed, um, but we also want to be able to handle the short game and and do the little things. Um, but yes, we we still still bases. We've got one guy with over twenty this year. <clears throat> I think we have upper fifty stolen bases on the year. We play Louisiana this weekend. It's amazing. They've got over 100 stolen bases already. Um, so that's going to be a big challenge for us, and, and that's something we pride ourselves on is defensively is controlling the running game. Um, but, but stealing bases is, is a part of our offense, absolutely.
0: And that helps your catchers, too, because you guys do run and, and fall ball, right? Help, I mean, it yep. yep. helps our pitchers. with we, that. helps
1: our pitchers. We've got two, in my opinion, two elite catchers this year. We're fortunate. We've got two very good catchers two catchers that I, I would put um, up against anybody in the country. Um, so we're okay there with, with what their release time is and, and their throwing accuracy. Um, you know, the key is, is is our pitching staff. But our pitching staff, um, you know, come fall, we do steal a lot in the fall because we want to, you know, make our pitchers, make our catchers, our middle infielders uncomfortable in the fall. So then when we do play teams like a Louisiana – Hopefully, we're more prepared for when they do run.
0: You still having catchers throw to bases every day? Every day,
1: yeah. I mean, you know, we, we throw to bases through our pro our throwing program. Now, now during the spring, we, we tone it down a little bit because we're playing so much. But, you know, in the fall, you know, we'll get loose. Our catchers, people cringe about this because it's a kind of an old school, but our catchers actually throw in front of the dugout on our turf area. And then when they get to a certain point, they just go to the field and, and they're throwing between second and home um, just to kind of for that touch and feel. Uh, every Thursday our catchers throw to bases live. So if we're at home before a weekend series and we on the road, we're throwing to bases live. Um, and, and we're never throwing off of a coach pitch arm. So everything's off of a machine, much more game-like. We probably throw more curveballs. To bases than we do fastballs, which is very similar to what will happen in a game. You know, most teams are trying to run in, you know, off-speed counts, so we're going to throw more curveball, throw you know, and, and exchange more curveballs than we are fastballs or breaking balls. But yes, throwing the bases for us is very important. Again, just getting your body in sync and, and working on your accuracy and, and getting that release point and and, uh, and that feel.
0: And you talked about short game, too, because I think you guys have a little bit of a unique style, especially with the sack bunts. Are you guys still deeper in the box on your sack? Yeah, we don't move
1: up in our bunting. Yep. We don't move up in our bunting. Um, but uh, we, we bunt a lot. We, we do bunt a lot every day. We're doing some, short, some sort of short game. But that doesn't mean that we are sacrificing as much as we have in the past. I got my stats right here. Um, we got 20 sacks on the year. Opponents have attempted ten versus us this year, so our sack bunting is actually down. Um, you know, but we've got seventy-three home runs as a team too. So, you know, it, it's a combination. It's um, you know who's in the box. You know, I can tell you when when um, you know some of our guys come up. I mean, Kaden Bodine being one, a freshman in the three-hole. If it's first and second and no outs, I'm just telling you now, he's not bunting. He's not bunting. We, we have confidence. Now, he's hitting the five ground ball double plays. Um, but we have confidence in his approach and, and what he can do that uh, you know he, he's got a chance to um, really open up an inning with a quality at bat.
0: And that's part of good coaching, right? OK, this is what our lineup is this year. We don't have to maybe do some of the things historically that we've done because we have a little bit different personnel this year.
1: Exactly. That's That's adjusting to your lineup and your personnel. Um, and, and we have done that, you know. This year, I mean, coming into the year, we were very inexperienced. Derek Bender is another guy that comes to mind. Derek Bender is having an awesome year. I think he had 30 at bats last year as a freshman. He's a sophomore now. He's got 14 home runs. Um, you know, he, he's doing a great job too. He's got less than 20 strikeouts on the year. Um, you know, for a guy that has that power combination to strike out as, as little as he has. Um, you know, he, he's a very dangerous weapon too. So, no, we've evolved and, and and you know again, going into the year, we weren't exactly sure of where our offense would be because, you know, on paper, we didn't have, you know, the, the statistics to back up, well, this guy's hit 10 home runs before and this guy's done this. We knew we were talented. Um, we just didn't know exactly what the production would
0: be. With a freshman like that, so, it- you know, how do you temper their expectations where, okay, you know, getting 30 at-bats as a freshman, somebody from the outside looking in that's not at the college level doesn't understand that that's a positive for him to get those 30 at-bats in to then be an everyday player as a, as a sophomore?
1: Well, it's patience, um, just being patient. We, we had Derek is, is a catcher. We've moved him over to first a little bit too. We had two catchers ahead of him last year. Now he did catch some for us last year. We had two catchers ahead of him last year. Um, You know, and and the truth is, is, is we had some older guys. We 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 did well last year in the portal with some position players, so we brought in some older position players. Um, We brought in a first baseman, a second baseman, and a center fielder. so it was just tough for him to get a lineup. And, and last year, he was a freshman. He chased a little bit out of the zone. Um, but to his credit, um, he, he went off this summer, had a really nice summer, um, did a really good job with his nutrition. He's cleaned up his body. Um, and we always knew, I mean, he's a former Chanticleer camper from New York. His parents moved down here uh, his senior year in high school. They live in Myrtle Beach. They love Myrtle Beach. but. know we knew from camp like this guy's got a chance to have real power and it's starting to to really show now and and you know he's just you know overall has matured as a player and a lot of that is just you know him having patience and us having patience
0: when do you have that conversation with him like okay this summer i want you to to check all these things off so when you're when you're back for the fall these are the things that that we'd like to see you get better at
1: yeah at at the end of the year before he left um you know, we, we showed them on paper, like, like hey, we, we just had a 39-win season. We were one game away from advancing to the Super Regional. You had 30 at-bats. Um, but, but here's all the home runs we're, le- we're losing. Here's all the players we're losing. Um, it's really important that your summer is a summer of a lot of focus, extremely hard work, um, and – our expectation is you to come back in the fall with the mindset of, you know, you're going to hit in the middle of our order.
0: You still coaching first base?
1: Third base now. We're at third base, but I missed that
0: was, was that due to the year that, that Gilly was sick?
1: Yeah, and, and then Gilly kind of got out of the rhythm at third, and, and now he just – he's happy in the dugout, Um You and great. Wake
0: Forest both because Bill, Bill's coaching third now too. Is that right? Yep.
1: Um, so so he's in, in the dugout now. Um, you know, I, again, I, I do miss first because I looked at first like you can impact the game in a lot of ways at a, at a higher level than you can at third. And I'm kind of hard on our first base coaches. <laughs> I was over there for 20 years, you know, and there, things come up and I'm like, hey, man, like you got to run the base for him. Like, don't expect him to do it. Like, you have to basically you have instincts like you are running the base, like verbally, you're running the base for him. Yeah. Don't expect him to know what he's doing on a tag up or like, for me, it's like constantly reminding, hey, expect a dirt ball right here, expect a dirt. Like when we miss dirt balls and I'm a first base coach, like it was like 60% on me, 40% on him. Like I'm not doing a good enough job reminding him of this dirt ball or, or you know, if if, we missed a tag up, you know, in a first and third situation or whatever. Where, you know, our mentality at first, we, you know, we want to tag up if the ball is high, deep and comfortable. If there's a man at third, if it's routine, you know. And if we miss a tag up in that situation, like I feel like that was on me. You know, in, in Omaha, we uh, we triple tagged versus um, Texas Tech, and then we double tagged versus TCU. In a big situation, first and third double tag, with two outs, our next guy hits a ground rule double. You know, and, and he didn't—he doesn't score if we don't double tag in that situation. So, like, there were some runs that that we were able to get in Omaha. You know, in in that little journey we had to, to win that national championship. That, you know, in the scorebook you don't really see it, but you know, those little base running things make a big difference.
0: Yeah, and that was in your Garden State Clinic, which is good, because I thought that was a a unique talk that you don't normally see. I thought you did a really good job of presenting on situations and and a ton of video footage, but you'll go over that a little bit, because that's not an easy thing for kids. A lot of kids don't work on base running before they show up. Just talk about trying to get kids <laughs> acclimated to the base running the... and, and decision-making. Because yeah, he... everybody says baseball is slow. Baseball is a really fast sport from a decision-making standpoint. Like, you have to yeah. be able to, to, to make decisions on the fly extremely quick. Uh, but just go over a little bit of that presentation, because I thought it was fascinating.
1: Here's the thing. I, I, I think I'm so adamant about base running now because I was such a bad base runner. I was a catcher, right? So I'm a catcher, right? You get on base, they take you off, right? You're in high school, you're out. Yeah, this is a speed up rule. You're off, I'm I'm great with it. Heck, I go in, get a drink of water and put my gear on. Then I got to college, JUCO, same thing, speed up rule. Then I come to Coastal, now I'm base running. I don't know what I'm doing out there for two years. And when I reflect back, I'm thinking, all we ever did to base run for the most part was steel bases so we work on our, our, our steel brakes i wasn't stealing any bases right that was fun working on steel brakes but i wasn't stealing any bases and then from a conditioning standpoint we would do you know what everybody does the the four group base running circuit right so you're at first base and you're running a double and you're at or you're at home plate, you're running a double. You're at first base, you're running first to third. You're at second, you're scoring on a base hit. You're at third, you're tagging up. That's not teaching me anything about base running. That's important because you've got to turn the bags properly, blah, blah, blah. So I, I think that is why I became so adamant about teaching base running. But I also saw us early in my coaching career make some bad base running decisions. And you know, I learned this from my dad, um, who, who was a coach. Um, as a coach, it's your obligation when you win or lose, first thing you should do is reflect. OK, what did we do well? What did we do poorly? And instead of point the finger at your players, I think it's really important to look at yourself as a coach and say, OK, when's the last time we reviewed it? When's the last time we repped it? Um, and then kind of get better from there. And, and again, we we lost a game on a decision or two, base running, and, and I just, I want to be able to put my head on the pillow at night, because we still make might make a bad decision. But I do feel, we feel as a staff, we do base running as much as anybody in the country. There's nobody doing it more than we are. Okay, but we're doing as much as anybody in the country, and I do feel very confident that if we make a mistake, it wasn't because we haven't repped it. And I remember, heck, two weeks ago, we were at Old Dominion, and we had a bad read at third. And I took the blame. I took the blame on that because our base running in BP every day is at second base. We're, we're, we're going no out reads, one out reads, dirt ball, or I mean, ground ball, fly balls. And we do do base running at third as well. But when I reflected back, I mean, we haven't base ran at third base in, in like three weeks. Just our, our down contact rules, our see it through rules. And um, I took the blame. Like like that's on us. Well, the next two days at Old Dominion, we basically ran at third. Right? And and I'm making sure at least once a week we're at third now because I don't wanna put our one of our players in that position again without repping it the way we need to.
0: How much time are you spending on the fall with, with ball and dirt reads?
1: Every day. Every day at least. Ten minutes. How's the setup
0: time. on the ball and dirt reads? Because I know everybody does a little bit different. Are you using machines? Are you using a live arm? I know you say you don't do much with coach coaches. Yeah, we, we use
1: we use a machine, but a lot of our dirt ball reads with um, a lot of our dirt ball reads are predetermined. Right versus it's still you, out of the hand. Like for me, yeah, the, the, the best I mean,
0: the best guys I ever had could read out of the hand if it's going in the dirt and they were already on the fly because they they knew that ball was going in the dirt
1: what we like to talk about is 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 sometimes the catcher gets lucky right sometimes the catcher goes to block a ball and it gets stuck in his glove and he gets lucky and when that happens you got to tip your hat we can't just clap and this happens in baseball a lot you've been around the game a lot when it's successful you can't clap and then when it's unsuccessful You give the what are we doing look. So we have a thing here where like, we're gonna clap even when it's unsuccessful, if we're doing the right things. So like for instance, us early in the game with two outs, it is automatic And, and the mentality is, if you think it's going in the dirt, you go. Not see it in the dirt. If you think it's going in the dirt, you go. You know, and, and there's a lot of times we're clapping because it's a great read. But there are those times where the catcher gets lucky, and it sticks in his glove, and he throws him out. We're still clapping. It's a great read. That's a good read. Um, but we do talk a lot about how hard it actually is to block a ball, recover it, and then throw it accurately to second base. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, so uh, again, we go over that. We talk about our reads um and our absolutes in our dirt balls but we'll we'll use the machine to to answer your question we we use a machine but we've got machines now where you can alter them and and just a little touch here and a little touch there and it's a non-dirt ball and then it is a dirt ball so so yeah we'll use the machine um and then it's it's great work for our catchers you know i mean our catchers blocking, recovering, and then moving properly to, you know, be able to throw the ball accurately. And that's what it comes down to. I mean, belt buckle below versus belt buckle above, safe and out.
0: I mean, how are you limiting with the catchers? Obviously, you want them to get work in, but you don't want them to get beat up either. So, I mean, how, how are you managing kind of workload yeah. with ball and dirt? And also, I, I want to get into throwing a little bit too after this, but, I mean, how are how are you kind of balancing – okay, they've got to get their work in, but we don't want to beat them up either.
1: Yeah. Now, in the fall, they're getting beat up. (laughs) I'll be honest. There's block days in the fall where um, they're they're tough. They're very demanding days. I mean, there's days in the fall our catchers are probably blocking upwards of 60 balls in one day. Um, And it's tough. Uh, But I think that is part, you know, that neck up toughness behind the plate like you got to have and, and before we even do the work I'm like guys it's not gonna be fun like this is gonna be challenging but like how you respond how you act to it is what it's all about and embrace it and and, and I believe we have a catching culture here at Coastal that is good as anywhere in the country none of them um, have animosity amongst each other they're all really good friends because it's a very unique fraternity and and i like to say only those that have been part of the coastal carolina catching fraternity truly get it but man it's it's an awesome fraternity and and these guys have been through a lot because i'm a, a i could be very demanding and very challenging at times, but I could tell you that I, I also love them a lot too. And, and the group, the two catchers specifically, I mean, Bender's caught two, so I'll throw them in there. But th- those two specifically that have caught the majority, man, I, I love those guys, man. Th- those guys have made my life so much easier. This year has been the easiest year I've ever had to coach catching. And why that is, is because of them too. Like, I don't need to get mad. Like they come and do their work and it's like, there's nothing to get mad about. Because they do it at such a high level, with great body language, with great intent, and with a great mindset. So, I'm very fortunate there. Um, but the fall is challenging for catchers because we're installing, we're demanding, we're setting expectations. Um, and you got to be very, very consistent with that every day. And, you know, that's something that I think separates us.
0: And then how are you managing workload and, and, and on-ramp for their arms? Because they, they throw as much as the pitchers do. So. Yeah.
1: Um, I think it all all comes back to, uh, you know, communicating with them. Um, But, uh, again, if their arm is in, in, in good shape, they should be able to throw the ball from home to second base, you know, 10 times every day, 15 times every day. They should be able to field a bunt and throw the ball to first base. You know, we got the catapult system, and it, you know, calculates every throw. I think our one catcher at Campbell the other day had, like, 300 throws. You know, in one day, and and that all goes back to you know what you're doing in August. Um, but we are very intentional with our days off, and and um, you know, in our no throw days and things like that. And you know, I communicate with them on a regular basis. I communicate with our strength and conditioning coach on a regular basis to make sure we're all in line with you know what we're doing.
0: How often they have no throw days?
1: At least once a week. At least once a week, but. Some of those other days are, are a low throw day. Like, I don't even count, you know, playing catch and, you know, ten accurate throws a second as a throw day. I mean, that that's, you know, it's almost like outfielders. An outfielder throws a ball from right field to home plate four times one day and it's like he needs a week off. Like, you should be able to do that six days a week. I mean, we're asking you to play catch and then throw the ball from right field to home plate four times or three times you know, on a good long hop. You should be able to do that every
0: day. Your guys in and out routine, same? Like no, on a weekend, no, how, how, are, how are you varying that? And, and, yeah, we vary that. Hey, your live catcher, out. are they throwing in and out, or are they warming the pitcher up? Your starting catcher that
1: our, day. Our, our in and out now, we, at home games, our, is before BP. So we do it before batting practice. So, I mean, we have an in and out routine. Um, but that routine's altered with some game situations. You know, if we've got a team that wheels their guy from second on slow developing ground balls. So when we do slow rollers in that particular day, we'll have our first baseman catch, return throw to home plate. Um, you know, so, so we, we do a lot more game-like stuff in infield, outfield now than we ever have. We do a lot of square drill where we'll have pitchers covering bags just increase reps, um, you know, but with the uses of machines and things like that, I mean, there's a lot of days where we can get all of our ground ball infield work done during batting practice, um, you know, and that's by design where there's days where our infield outfield consists of outfield throws only, and then infield do their, will do their work. Catcher throws an infield outfield, they'll throw to bases, but it's really more just for catch play than anything um how long you know, have you
0: guys gone where you're taking in and out before bp
1: we've done that the last five years i think it's been what was now. the switch for that gives our guys more time after bp to eat shower and kind of get their minds prepared to play the game versus half the, and also ramping up their arms you know more times like just one time and now bp's over you, know, you, you have much more time now from from that point to when you have to be back out on the field um, before the game, you know they got more time to themselves. Again, a lot of guys like to shower, whatever their pregame routine is. But we have pregame, you know, fully catered pregame meal, so they can eat, they can shower, they have more time versus you know rushing back out to have you know infield, outfield.
0: What's your pregame meal for them, nutrition-wise?
1: So it varies, but you know we, we, everything's fully catered. So you know high, high protein, carbs. Um, you know our strength and conditioning coach and, and our athletic trainer and our director of baseball operations they spearhead that, and, and everything's calculated with what they're eating. Um, you know, for a guy that's forty six now, you know there's always too much food around, if you will. Got to be very disciplined.
0: That's changed. I think that's been the biggest change for me over the years is the nutrition piece and nutrition and rest,
1: nutrition and rest, which, you know, when we grew up, we didn't know anything about it. I I ate Chinese food before every game. Now they say that's the worst thing for you, too much sodium.
0: I think that's why the bodies are different now, just all of it. It's better. We got way, we're way more physical at the college level than we've we've ever been because of everything. Well, the commitment with
1: the strength and conditioning. You know, when we were growing up, it was kind of frowned upon to be lifting as a baseball player. The strength conditioning is different. And then you're right, the the overall importance of nutrition, you know, for us at Coastal, like, you know, we go on the road, there's never a day we're giving meal money out. Everything is designed um, with putting our players in the best position to be able to play at the best, you know, they can possibly be. So the nutrition is really important. So every meal is very, uh, you know, designed for for, for for you know through our um, strength and conditioning coach or athletic trainer in our operations, uh, baseball operations. Um, you know th- those meals are very important for. You our have a post meal play. then for them too. Absolutely, yep.
0: Pre-game,
1: so pre-game and pre and
0: post. It's awesome. Really good. Hey, you're a good clinician. You're still, I tell you that all the time, still one of my favorite catching talks was Orlando, the the year you spoke on Sunday there. I think that was 2015. But how long did it take you to find your voice as a clinician?
1: That's just myself, to be honest with you. That's just myself. I feel like I'm pretty passionate about coaching, teaching, um, what, what our absolutes are, what our beliefs are and you know when when you get into a segment like that and you can present your beliefs and your absolutes it's it's pretty uh you know it's pretty easy just to be who you are
0: yeah no it's you're always one of my favorites to listen to because because i know that's who you are too like that's not that's not a fake thing you you being on stage like that with your energy that's just who you are so i appreciate watching you talk because that's that's who you are
1: thank you man that's a great compliment
0: Do you have a fail-forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now was maybe one of the best things that happened to you?
1: Well, the decision to to, to hang up the cleats. You know, in 2000, I'm um, with the Reds. I'm in Dayton. uh, And I was putting on our – we didn't have a high A team. We had two teams in the Midwest League. So I'm on the Dayton Dragons, our quote-unquote high A team. And I'm the backup catcher. We're like a month into it. I've caught like one game. And probably should have been on the other team, you know. I mean, my whole motto the whole time was like, you can't make the major leagues if you're back up in the minor leagues. Well, Gilly calls me and he's like, hey, listen, I've got the volunteer spot open next year. I'm from New New Jersey. I got a year left in school. The Reds are giving me like $5,000 a semester to go back to school. I know that doesn't pay for my whole school. He's going to pay for the rest of my school. Um, plus, I'd be able to put that 5,000 in my pocket each semester. So that starts going through my brain. and I knew Coastal's program was on the rise with Gilly and his vision. In my mindset, I was thinking, well, what happens if I play Pro ball for two more years? He leaves. Like I'm gonna have to go back to Coastal. I'm gonna have to pay thirty plus thousand dollars out of my pocket to go to school just to finish up one year versus go back now, free of charge, 5,000 in my pocket each semester from the Reds, and start potentially my career. Like, maybe I'd wanna get into coaching. So I, I, I said, hey, let me think about it for a week, and, and he was great about it. I was like, listen, man, the last thing I want you to do is hang up something that you're you know, passionate about. Like, I don't want you to quit if you're all in. I just want you to know, like, this spot's open. And I was like, give me a week, let me, Take it all in, and 24 hours later, I didn't need the week. Like, I woke up the next day and I'm like, "What am I doing?" And I go into the uh, the manager's office and I told him what I was going to do. And you know, he he, he shook my hand. He, he said, "I wish you the best." And, and it was the best decision I ever made. I came home for one month. I told my, my mom. I was I was so lucky to have have the mom that I have. But you know, my mom never really forced m- me to get a job while I was playing baseball. So I quit baseball and basically it was whatever in June and maybe even a little bit earlier and I go home because I didn't have to be to co- be back to Coastal till August. Well, like I told her like I, I'm not getting a job or she told me like you don't need to get a job until you're, you're done baseball. Like That's a full time commitment. And I got home and I remember me and my best buddy from high school, like I was like, I gotta get a job now. And and I I landscaped for like a month. We were landscaping like seven in the morning, just showing up, just landscaping all day long, shirt off, you know, at at Friday you walk, the guy's like, here's your money's, you know, here's 350 bucks, whatever it was. we go to Atlantic City that night and either double it or lose it. Um, But like that last month, you know, before I reported for my first real job, like I got a job, I was landscaping. It was blue collar, hard work. Um, but that was the best, not to get too long-winded, that was the best decision I made, is shutting down Pro Bowl and get my life started. I graduated from Coastal that year. 2001 was our first year where we finally knocked down the door. We go to our first regional. Bubba Dorman is the assistant coach. Um, I say this as the base comment, I mean, this is a, a redneck Baseball guy from South Carolina. Still one of my He's favorite great.
0: camps ever. Best of Virginia yeah. camp was yeah, doing yeah, infield yeah, stuff yeah, with it. Boba. I stole so much infield stuff from him.
1: You know, and I, I'm this I'm this punk from Jersey, and he embraces me, like he helped me be able to articulate what people were doing to become a better coach. Um, he helped me, you know, see organization commitment. I mean he was a tremendous mentor to me. Um, you know, he so I ended up graduating that year. The next year I start my graduate school and we won again. And he ends up stepping down, moves on to another job, and Gilly moves me up. And from that moment on, that was it. You know, and people ask all the time, Well, you know, what what do you recommend? And I got lucky. I made the right decision in Pro Ball, I shut it down, I got my degree we won, winning helps. <laughs> winning always helps. We won, we won at a high level. Um, I got lucky, the, the assistant that you know, mentored me in a really positive way, because Bubba is a tremendous baseball coach. He mentored me in a really positive way. He moved on, I moved up, and we continued to win.
0: What years did you get married? Man, you're killing me on this. What years
1: did I get? My son is, I got married 14 years ago.
0: I mean, how were those conversations? Being in the baseball industry is not easy to have a family. I mean, did you prep her at all before you got married? Like, hey, this is not going <laughs> to be an easy thing, or was it no. just, hey, we're going to figure it out?
1: No. My, my wife, um, so I have a stepdaughter. So my wife was previously married. She was super independent. Um, so like she didn't need me around every day and that that's, that's always made...
0: been my advice to people is like hey my wife's same thing extremely independent you have to find somebody that that can do their own thing and doesn't need you around
1: oh yeah when i was home during covid she's like well, you got to get back to work um you know and, and over the winter sometimes it's like you you're, you're so bored you need to go back to work um so, honestly, in our relationship, like, we love being around each other. But, you know, my job is perfect for her mentality. And, um, you know, it works so well. And, and, and what she does at the house, it's unbelievable. I mean, people, you, you can't design the stuff that she does. I mean, she's literally the CEO of the house. Um, you know, I don't have to come home. And, and And, I mean, my job is to take out the trash. And I'm not very good at it.
0: Are your kids into sports?
1: They are. They are. My um my daughter just started playing volleyball. She's real. Shy. I don't. Me and my wife can't understand it. My wife's from Jersey too. Outgoing, um, competitive. I like to think I'm outgoing, competitive. Both of our kids, great kids, but they're they're competitive, but like very passive. Uh, my son's really into basketball right now. He's got a really good coach here in Myrtle Beach. Um, Colin Stevens is his name. He's made a really good impact on him. I've seen his basketball game really improve. My son's pretty tall actually. My wife's side of the family is tall. So my son is actually, um, he's in the seventh grade. He has grown, he's getting taller. Um, So he's got a passion for basketball. My daughter, like I said, she's playing volleyball she's doing she's doing well but she's very shy very passive so she's got to kind of crack that egg
0: what are some final thoughts or something i should ask you before i let you go
1: um what should you ask me what do i like is there anything i
0: missed i mean you and i could talk for this could be a 10-hour episode because we just just
1: saw each other in jersey at the coffee shop we had a great talk um I don't know. We're, we're in week, what do we do? We just finished week 10 already of the season. We've got four more weeks left. I mean, it's been a 10 week grind. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're in a good position. We haven't lost a weekend series in 10 weeks, but week 11, 12, 13, and 14 are going to be very, very challenging. So, you know, our motto is just keep our head down and keep chugging because, uh, you know, this game, like I said earlier,
0: will humble you quickly. I was going to ask you that, you know, you've been doing this for so long that the season is a, a sprint, but then it's okay, I got to get back on the road recruiting. Do you have any decompress after the season that you use to help?
1: Some people complain about these days, the, these, this dead periods that we've inserted, you know, July 4th and Father's Day weekend. I think they've been great, you know, just to get two, three days off the road, come home You know, enjoy your family for a couple days. Um, You know, so I I think that has really helped in a lot of ways, those those days right there. And then come August, you're off the road for, like, four weeks. I think that's very valuable. I just think, uh, again, the older you get, I mean, I find myself, you know, when I was younger, I mean, I I would just grind the office, grind the office, grind. The older I get, I, I find myself, like, wanting to grind the office and then looking at myself and just dropping the pen, dropping you know the keyboard or the computer and just getting up and going home and realizing you know that was just as valuable as or or more valuable than sitting in the office so you know taking that advantage of working for a guy like Gary Gilmore who you know isn't on top of you every second about you know how long you're in the office or what you're doing like get your work done and and realize like you got to get away from the office here and there um, if you want to be
0: sharp yeah and I think the seven-day moratorium for Thanksgiving and Christmas is gonna be good too for you guys yeah be able to put it down no doubt just because it keeps everybody accountable for that just get away from it for a little bit put it down
1: the months of November December are heaven especially living down here where it doesn't get too too cold there's a lot to do down here. Um, November, December, two great recharging months. You know, we've got a couple camps, but we enjoy our camps. Our camps are, um, you know, are great recruiting tools, but, you know, they're, they're events that, again, like as, as a staff, we enjoy because we like to teach. Um, but, uh, you know, we have a couple camps in those months, but outside of that, it's pretty, uh, pretty enjoyable just to kind of get away, enjoy some football and family and friends.
0: Thanks for your time, Kev. Appreciate it. Hopefully I see you on Omaha here in June. All right. I appreciate you having me. Best elected to Coach Chennau and the Shina Clares the rest of the way out. Pumped uh, with college baseball here with tournaments getting ready to start for the lower levels and then Division One here at the end of the month. Thanks again to Antonio Walker, Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West and ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownleadabc.org. Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at CoachB underscore ABCA or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownley, signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.